Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, you should check out the full finance journey at realvision.com slash nextbigtrade to get the full view of what Real Vision is all about. A video on demand platform you can watch anywhere. Our members get daily videos and analysis, plus access to more than 3,000 videos for beginners and experienced investors alike, and live events online. You'll join the most thoughtful community in finance. More than 300,000 people who trust Real Vision to be the anchor to truth in the financial world. To get started, visit realvision.com slash nextbigtrade and use promo code NBT20 to get 20% off our Plus membership for your first year. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Next Big Trade. I'm your host, Harry Malandri from MI2 Partners. On this program, I'll talk to some of the world's foremost traders about current trends in markets and what they believe is a smart bet. We'll hear about their career journeys and, of course, find out what they're targeting as their next big trade. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the next big trade and thanks for joining us. Um, This week, I'm talking to Paul Hodges. Paul is chairman of the New Normal Consulting and non-executive chair of Nitech Solutions. He's a global expert with the World Economic Forum, whatever that is. Um, and he spent uh, 17 years with ICI, uh, both in the UK and the USA, where he helped run petrochemicals and chloralkali businesses. Um, Paul is also a freeman of the City of London. Hello, Paul. How are you? Well, what, what, what can I say after that? Thank you very much. Nice to be here. So, Paul, what exactly is a global expert with the World Economic Forum? What does that involve? Well, uh, it can be anything you like, really. I mean, there are are quite a few of us. And what we do is we specialise in particular areas. So I'm obviously coming at it from the chemicals and plastics side of things. And uh, what, what what we try and do is we try and identify key areas that need attention, that governments need to be thinking about, that companies need to be thinking about, and producing some ideas to, to stimulate those those things. So we've one of the main thing that I'm working on particularly is plastic pollution and sustainability, net zero, uh, you know, how do how do we move forward on the green agenda? The, those are the sort of areas that I've mainly focus on. You know, that's fascinating, although I, I do have uh, a really important question, which is, how does one become a freeman of the City of London? I'm quite keen. Well, Who do uh, I have to sleep keen, with? Keen. I mean, uh, obviously, if I told you, I'd have to kill you, I'm afraid. Well, you're uh, not the only one who's got that on their mind. Yes, I mean, obviously, you. other people are. You know, <laughs> I, it's hard to say because you get invited to do it. It's um, you know, so, some not quite mysterious. So somebody you know says, oh, by the way, I thought you'd like to to join. And so you say, oh, does it cost a lot of money? And they say, not really. This is really weird because I have never been invited to become a freeman of the City of London. I've got no idea why that is. Well, yes, you see, but you're probably in the wrong part of North London. Probably. You see, you're in Tottenham. You see, I, prob- I, I can see that. I can see yes, that. Yes. I, I, uh... <laughs> and what advantages does being a freeman of the City of London involve? Well, as you come from Tottenham, I think I'll... I'm able to tell you, you're you're able to drive sheep across the uh, across London Bridge. You know, at the moment, I haven't got any sheep, but uh, oh, well, that, well, that's probably why you why you haven't been invited. I was I was thinking you might get an extra library ticket for the Barbican Library, but the, the, re- the real lock-ins. thing the, the real thing that I thought was great fun is that the the companies of 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 
city of London, you know, go back hundreds of years, and they've all got these fantastic uh, livery halls. And because we were a relatively new uh, group uh, in water treatment and so on, we didn't have our own hall. So we used to go around having our dinners in these fantastic places with, you know, gold and silver all around, and, you know, glassworks. You know, th- think, you know, one of the wealthiest um, c- companies is the salt. Because if you go back to medieval times, everything Yes, they've been around for a while. They've been around for a while. You walk into this building, which luckily wasn't particularly bombed uh, during the war. A lot of them were, but that was... And, and you just go, wow! <laughs> you know, and for, you know, for, for a you know, price of a dinner, um, you get to see all these things that are normally fairly quiet. So... And you do meet some interesting people and so on and so forth, you know. But, well, you say that. But I, I imagine it's like most things in the city. You, you you get drunk. You get drunk and you have a chat. Well, you you have to keep up with your colleagues, you know. You can't you – know, I'm, I'm a terrible lightweight. I, uh, these things are so – I can – two pints and I'm under the table every time. Oh, dear, dear. Um, I, yeah, no, that may explain everything. So – before we start talking about your investment thesis, um, can I ask you a little bit about bulk chemicals? Because mm. it seems to me there's a hell of a lot going on with them right now. And to me, I mean, to my uninformed eye, it all looks very ominous. Um, what are you seeing in chems that people should be thinking about? Well, the I think the main thing to see about chemicals is that we are the bellwether for the for the global economy. And the reason for that is that we're one of the largest industries in the world. I mean, energy and agriculture are larger, but we're we're in there uh, as num- number three. And we are in every single part of your life. So, you know, all the things that are in your in, in your office, in your room there, you know, that, that's all got chemicals, the carpets, the, the bar football game, you know, the curtains, the drapes and so on. Yeah, you're, you're giving away a lot of secrets here, Paul. <laughs> 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 my so, very, so, very so, academic office here. <laughs> so, um, so you've, you, so you've, you, you, it's every, in everything, pharma, pharmaceuticals, agrochemicals, and so on, and it's in every country. So we see things typically six to nine months ahead of the market. You know, so so the street, it, it's rather like so, so some some viewers might remember Peter Lynch, who ran the Magellan Fund mm-hmm. uh, very successfully. It was the most successful mutual fund of the eighties. And, and Peter wrote various books, which I followed and thought were very good, um, where he said, you know, people outside Wall Street actually have this advantage. They don't realise that they see things before the street catches up. You know, you go into your supermarket, you see that something is seeing work going selling well. You ask your friends. They all say, oh, yeah, yeah, we've got one too. Street doesn't pick up on that for six months. We're better than that with the chemical industry because we actually cover everything. So we could tell you, you know, two years ago, we could see that COVID was going to be a major disaster. You know, people kept saying, oh, no, it'll be over by the summer. No. A year ago, we started waving our arms around like mad, saying, please worry about inflation. Oh, no, you don't understand. It's transitory. It really, really, really isn't. Nobody wanted to listen. Uh, and we, you know, we're now saying, and uh, have been for a couple of months or so, the world is in recession. That's That's very interesting. And uh, people go, oh, no, 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 it's, no, it's not. You know, the fr- it is. So, and what's leading? Which part of the world is leading that recession? Uh, well, you've got you've got what we talk about at the moment is is the three horsemen of the apocalypse. So we we started with the pandemic, we then um, had war, and we're now going to famine. And you know, I'm not I'm not trying to you know 
be excitable or anything like that. So the pandemic obviously is is there. And that started in China, but obviously went everywhere. But it, it's still going in China. You know, the two major cities of China, Shanghai and now Beijing, are locked down. City of 26 million and 22 million are locked down. And, and, and so... So Beijing is not officially locked down. Although from what I hear, it's, um, it's, locked, it's already locked down in all but name. And the, well, I, uh, yeah, what, 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 what I'm told by our, our, our guys around the corner is that you know, they're using razor wire to make sure that people are kept in. I, I agree that not every apartment block as yet is locked down, but an awful lot of them are. So a light touch... <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so, the Horseman of the Apocalypse. It's you know, you could be. We could be more light-hearted than that. It's, although I've always wondered. Well, you asked like, me a simple question, didn't you? you said, "Well, you know, where, where did it come from?" Well, it comes from. This is why it's happening. It's not. It's not. No, no, absolutely. Said, you, know. <laughs> you know, absolutely. And you know, bulk chemicals, fertilizers, mm. uh, nitrogen fertilizers have gone through the roof. Yeah, um, which suggests yields will be significantly lower in yeah. the uh, the harvest. Um, so I can see your point. Of course, death being the fourth horseman we didn't mention. I always thought that yeah, was. Well, the I, that's why you said you wanted to keep it cheerful, so I didn't mention right. that. Right. Okay. <laughs> <Enough>. <laughs> but also, what's going on with diesel? Why is diesel getting so expensive? It's refinery configurations that uh, you build a refinery in order to process certain crudes that you think you're going to to, to use. Some people like Exxon uh, then go on from that and build in more and more flexibility uh, because that can make you quite a lot of money. So instead of just, you know, for example, the uh, the Lyondell refinery uh, down in, uh, in Houston was originally built uh, as a joint venture with the Venezuelans. Right. And the Venezuelans have very heavy crude. And so it was it was cheaper. Than anybody else's crude because not many people could process very heavy crude. So the refinery was built there. That made it cheaper to make, uh, you know, to, to run everything through because you didn't have to build so many different units and so on and so forth. But of course, um, if if you can't get hold of Venezuelan crude because of sanctions, uh, you haven't got much prospect of a refinery. Um, you know, as, as Paul Lionel Barzell have, have discovered, and it, they put it up for sale, it didn't happen, and I think they're now closing it down, or they may be converting it to something else. So you've got refineries stuck into a configuration here, and the world changes, and obviously the world today is completely upside down, and they just they they haven't got the the the, mach- the machinery to to you can't turn gasoline into diesel. You know, and traditionally, diesel, I think, from memory, is about 3% of the US market. So refineries are producing about 3%. If you haven't got that feedstock, that, that particular type of crude and so on, and you're producing 2%, well, you've just lost a third of your design. You know. Now, I'm, I'm often useless. Um, I can't remember things as clearly as I could, but I could have sworn that the Russian Federation produced about 40% of the diesel produced in Europe. Hmm. Yes, well, it, it, it supplies. I, I, yeah, we, we we don't do oil ourselves, but certainly that number sounds right to me for in terms of supply from Russia into Europe of diesel. Um, so there we have a shortage of refining capacity. Not to mention the fact that Russian that diesel is better produced with heavy crudes, as you just mentioned, and Russian crude is heavy too, and was being used to replace the Venezuelan crude in the US. Mm. So it's all. I think the phrase is fubar. Um, 
And what worries me, of course, distribution is heavily reliant on diesel. So, well, let's hope for a recession. Otherwise, the inflation will go absolutely crazy because everything's got a bit of diesel in it because everything gets delivered to our supermarkets. Yeah, it's a, it's a small part of the oil barrel and it just happens to be having a squeeze. And obviously people will get round it, but it's, yeah, it's it's not easy to do. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about your next big trade because it's a little unusual in that it's not actually a trade. Although I was thinking about this um, mm. and it occurred to me that there was a trade. Uh, your trade appears to be sell everything. That's a, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Oh, actually, I'm, I'm parodying it, but it's not that far from what you're arguing. So let's go through your investment thesis. Uh, can you explain to to people? Yeah. To listeners? I mean, the, the, the investment thesis is 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 very clear, um, and what I'm really talking about is a positive thing. You know, before everybody sort of gets upset with me and says, "Oh, you're very miserable," and so I think it's very positive because to me. And you know, I've been around a while. The main function of markets, why do you have a market, is price discovery. I want to buy something, you want to sell it, and you know, we just between us, we discover a price at which you're happy and I'm happy. And if you you know, if you don't have markets, then you you actually there's nothing to anchor uh, pricing. You know, if you go back to the Soviet Union, you know, they would make left boots in Lithuania, they'd make right boots in Poland, and they'd bring them all to East Berlin. And nobody knew what the cost were or anything like that. It was a completely, utterly inefficient system. So I, I really believe in markets. And for the last 20 years, the central banks have interfered in markets. They came up with this idea that, as Bernanke, Ben Bernanke said when he was Fed chair, in uh, 2010 in October, essentially the old thing that General Motors used to say, what's good for financial markets is good for the economy. So whenever whenever the market starts to sneeze, oh, don't worry, we'll get, put another trillion in. So you destroy price discovery. Fine. Given that I want markets to succeed, I really do want markets to go back to price discovery. And that is now what's happening. So what that says is, we're going to go through a very rough patch. Well, in the real world, if you go back in history, you look at US recessions and so on, you used to have a recession every four or five years. It cleaned out the dross. The people who couldn't make it got wiped out and they didn't bring down the others. If you look at the, at the states today, 18%, I think, according to Deutsche Bank, 18% of the S&P 500 can't make enough money in order to pay their interest bills. I mean, this is, what is the Federal Reserve doing allowing that to happen and encouraging it? In other words, what they've said is, don't worry, you'll always be able to refinance. So at a certain point, this all pops. Fine. And we go back to price discovery. How long does that take? Well, it takes probably two or three years. This is the second most expensive market in history. It's, you know, two, they did it once in 2000. You, you, you'd think they might have uh, learned their lesson from that, but they didn't. And so it's, 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 a, it's a bit more expensive than 1929. So if you look at the top three, according to Robert Schiller's CAPE index, the cyclically adjusted price earnings ratio, you know, 2000 is up there. We're next. And then 1929. And it takes two to three years to work its way through the system. In the meantime, of course, uh, if you're very clever and a very good trader, uh, then you know, there are fantastic rallies that come in to tempt you, 10%, 50% sometimes, and so on. So, uh, but you know, as, as, as um, 
Bob Farrell, the great technician, said uh, bull markets are a lot more fun than bear markets. But I'm sorry, can't help it. Bull markets are way more fun and the parties are better too. Yep. I absolutely yep. assure you. And there are more so, of them too. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. Although I never get the invites. Um, so the recommendation is really you you have to select uh, stocks. Your investments should be fundamentally grounded. They should have strong underlying financials. They should be able to withstand a little bit of volatility in the real economy. Um, you're basically saying avoid the fluff that's mm. been promoted in the last, I guess, 10 years, roughly speaking. Ten, 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 well, there's always been fluff. You know, there's always been uh, you know, hucksters and so on coming along. Uh, there's always been, yeah, there's all, we all want to believe that somebody knows a lot more than us. You know, the Delphic Oracle in, uh, in, in ancient Greece, you know, we all go there and the goddess cuts up a, a, you know, a, a, an animal is, looks at the entrails and says, oh, yeah, it's going to rain tomorrow or whatever, you know, uh, whatever your question is. Yeah, we all want to believe that. We all read our horoscopes and so on. And it's just the same in the markets. Uh, so, you know, that's just human nature. And you get people who, through luck or judgment, I mean, you know, if, if you remember the way it was explained to me a long time ago. So if you want to do a scam, what do you do with it once email comes out? You send out 10,000 emails, one saying buy Apple, the next one saying sell Apple. Two weeks later, you go back to the ones where, you know, it, it was right. If it was buy Apple, Apple's gone higher. You go back to the 5,000 and you say, now, you know, we want you to buy Netflix. And the other, the other half of them, you say, you sell Netflix. And you go down like that. So if you've had three or four, yeah, the first two or three emails, you don't take those. Three or four emails, you say, gosh, this guy really does know something. And then he hits you and he says, you know, give us, give us 10 grand and I'll make you a millionaire. And, you know, one in a certain number. And it's all very cheap with the internet. So, but all he's done is he's come down the all of average is from 10,000 to 5,000 to 2,500 and so on. And he's got a thousand people believing he's a genius. Well, you know, have, have we not seen that? <laughs> In, uh, you know, with our friend Kathy Wood and Barstool Harry or whatever his name was and all this sort of thing, you know, uh, they, they, they they all have a run of luck. And they say, you know, I mean, remember the, the, the Barstool meeting up with President Trump and saying, you know, roll over Warren Buffett, you know, I'm the new king now. Well, yeah, fine. Where are you today? You know, I think we all know by now things are pretty fucked out there for most of us. You see, whether it's currency debasement, rising real estate prices, or wages that never go up, it's really hard. And one of the most popular things we ever did was that series, How to Unfuck Your Future. So we're going to do it again, March 11th, March 22nd. We'll discuss the problems at hand, no holes barred, and then we'll give you all the tips you need to unfuck your future. It just costs a dollar to join Real Vision to get access to all of this content. Go to realvision.com forward slash the future. I'll see you there. Let's unfuck your future together. So are you familiar with um, the term bezel? Uh, J.K. Oh, yes, yes, bezel. indeed, yes. Um, it's from this book, The Great Crash of 1929. Mr. Galbraith, um, yes, indeed. Do, do you know, it's interesting, he wrote the book, I mean, he didn't write the book till the 50s, but he wrote it yeah. apparently in about three weeks. Uh, he's, he's, he's a lot better than me. I have terrible essay crises. <laughs> <laughs> But um, the gist of this, for those who are listening who haven't come across this, 
is that uh, bull markets tend to create, I'm going to call it a criminogenic environment because I like mm. long words and I don't get to use them very often. And that means that even if you're not a fraud, a bull market's a time for people to set up overly optimistic companies, which maybe resell uh, office space in smaller units and pretend that it's a path-breaking new age concept. Not not thinking of any specific no, women-related no, companies or at all. Ta- tech, set up a taxi service with a... You know, quite a nice um, map on it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody knows the taxi services are very profitable, aren't they? When you get a monopoly, they are, yeah. Yeah. So there's (laughs) this moment, there's a moment when the fraudsters, if, you know, fraud is possibly an unfair term, but people, more optimistic uh, individuals who are happy to promote ideas, uh, you could call them bubble jockeys, if you like, um, know that they have your money, and the public does not yet know that its money has gone yet. And uh, J.K. Galbraith argued this was the point at which the stock of bezel, which mm. obviously comes from embezzlement, is at its maximum. Yeah. And everyone is as happy as they could possibly be in aggregate. And from there, we start to find out that we've lost money. In my case, in Russian stocks, um, no. <laughs> I, had a, I, had a, I had an unfortunate investment in a natural gas producer in Russia, which... Uh, it may well be the company still exists, but I don't seem to have any. Uh, um, um, but in other people, well, that's, that right. that, be... that, that's why you're doing this job. Then. <laughs> well, I, I, I get paid. You used cookies, to be a billionaire, yeah, but I, yeah. I do. I do eat the cookies. It's true. Um, but other people might be crypto or Amazon. But incidentally, by the way, Amazon uh, is still on a 63 PE. I don't believe Amazon is a bezel or is an is an invalid company. It might be incredibly profitable company in many, many ways, but it's not as cheap as it might be. Um, there are things like Carvana, where I do suspect there's a touch <laughs> of the best involved, or, or even Zoom, or even GameStop. GameStop might GameStop, be a little well, expensive. Oh, absolutely, yes. I mean, um, but well, the, AMC, for example. Or AMC. Or, I mean, I've, I've been to those theatres, and I love the way there's no one else in them when you're yes. watching movies. Well, um, it's a wonderful. I mean, what, I mean, you know, once intimate. you that you were a Russian gas billionaire, obviously, <laughs> momentarily, <laughs> momentarily. I, well, you know what? I could have bought that gas company. Even now, you can buy it with less than the cost of a suburban house in, in right. Andover, Massachusetts, which makes me feel a bit bitter in many respects. But now, I can just um, throw something in at the moment, which you, uh, the listeners list probably won't appreciate. But you're a Tottenham boy, and you, you know, North London, and I'm actually a Manchester United supporter, and I can tell. You that I've actually my sat in a, in, in a cinema next door to uh, Alec Ferguson and his wife. <laughs> in a cinema next door to Alex. Oh wow! I was sat, I've sat. Yeah. We happened to sit. We were sitting here, my wife and I, and Alec and his wife came and sat next to us. Uh, was he polite? He was very polite. We had a very very oh, nice chat. Yeah, nice. I, I mean, I, I, I well, we, not a lot of people know this. I used to get my hair cut at the same barbers where he used to go. I used to get my hair cut. Yes. I got mine. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so I was just thinking that given the scale of this bull market, which has been enormous, it's been one of the biggest bulls of all time, Yeah. Um, the scale of the bezel might be proportional, um, and therefore the scale of wealth destruction we might come to expect might be proportional. But look, rather than focus on that, how should people what what should retail investors do with this argument what 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 are you what are you effectively proposing to them well what i'm saying is forget what's happened 
in the last five or 10 years. That was outside anything that anyone's ever seen before. Okay, if you made money, that was great. Uh, hang on to it. Uh, now we're going back to markets as they have always otherwise been. And you know, the Fed is not going to be doing uh, Fed puts or anything like that uh, because the Fed is now worried about inflation. And I was at a thing, one of the central banks in Europe this week, uh, the Bundesbank in Germany, and the head of the German uh, Bundesbank, uh, Joachim Nagel, said, I am most worried now uh, that we lose public trust. That is key. Central banks are all about trust, he said. And unless we get interest rates moving up very fast, and we, you know, and he said, I don't want to talk about tightening, he said, in monetary policy. I want to talk about normalizing monetary policy. Let's get rid of all these assets that we bought. Let's get interest rates back. How can you have inflation at 8% and interest rates at 1%? It's absurd. They should be at least 5%, probably 10%, if you look at history. Now, everybody goes, oh my God. Right. And that's my point. My thesis is that's where we've always been in history. We've had this unique period. People have made money. That's great. But let's assume that we are going back to where we were. And there are certain rules that worked very well. Ben Graham, you talked about uh, Ben Graham, fundamental analysis and so on. You know, it's perfectly possible to work out whether a company is well managed, whether it's in a good industry, whether it's going to make money and whether you can make money. I, you know, I did this for 20 years before we got into all this nonsense about stimulus. So it's perfectly possible to do it. And what we've got now is a world where you, you know, there's, there's lots and lots of inverse ETFs and so on. So if you fancy it, and you think, yeah, look, you know, I mean, does anybody really think that emerging markets are going to do very well for the next two or three years? Dollar going up, you know, supply chains disrupted, Xi Jinping doing his stuff on COVID. No. Well, there's an, e there's an e ETF, an inverse ETF, uh, EEV, full disclosure, I've, I've held it for some time, um, which you can buy and will probably do very well. So there's, there's those, you know, if you want to, you, you, depending on your, your, you know, your, your sort of mentality, you can either just say, look, I think I'll put all my money in the bank. Well, check that the bank is going to still be there. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's right. I mean, I, I was in the States at the times of savings and loans, so I know that's not a joke. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I worked with a colleague in the 90s who had come out of a failed savings and loans. Very bullish yeah. chap, actually. Lovely guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I remember the, uh, the great days of the collapse of continental Illinois. You're, we we are aging, dating ourselves and aging ourselves. We are. But, but you see, that, 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 that's the only reason that I'm on here, because I do actually understand that there was a world before Barstool Harry and and all of this, you know, and Kathy Wood. You know, Paul, um, I think a lot of the problem here is about uh, the Fed put, mm. uh, which, you know, that's re it was originally called the Greenspan put, so it dates mm, yeah. from the mid-90s. Yeah. And the fact that we do have what looks to me to be a cost-push inflation problem. Mm. Um, the cost-push inflation problems distinguish from demand pull because it isn't caused by loose monetary policy in itself. Yeah. It's caused by a lack of capacity. Um, and I think there are really good reasons why we lack capacity, one of which is we've excluded Russia 
from the or trying to exclude Russia from the global trading system. So all of that Russian capacity, we were using it before, and it is no longer available to us. We should not be surprised that there are side effects from doing that. Um, I am definitely not suggesting that we should invite Putin to the house and give him a nice cup of tea and pat him on the back and say, where would you like to invade next? What I am saying is that there are consequences hmm. for scrapping Russian capacity. And frankly, I mean, a question for you, if natural gas prices are going to be so much higher in the Eurozone, which is kind of inevitable if you start seeking gas Hmm. via liquefied natural gas rather than pipelined from uh, the Yamal Peninsula, which is what's happening at the moment, how much of a bulk chemicals industry in Europe will be viable? Let let, let, let me just backtrack a moment on something you were saying, because a lot of what's happened is that we, in the 90s, for all sorts of reasons, we went into globalization and global supply chains. And uh, you know, the idea was we've got lots and lots of demand, let's get cheap goods, that will help China because people will get jobs that they wouldn't have before. You know, everybody, it's kind of win-win. And I was I was involved. I had a you know part of my job at ICI. I had a dozen business development people around Asia, and I used to go out to the region twice a year for a couple of weeks. You know, and I'd come back on a Friday night from Hong Kong, and I'd have a dinner party. We have a dinner party Saturday. People say, oh, "Where have you been?" And I'd say, oh, "I've been to China." Well, why? They'd say, "You know, uh, it, it, it was it was early days." And what happened was we prioritised efficiency, and so you know you don't. You know, we used to always have three or four suppliers because you could never tell whether anything would grow. But we said, no, no, it's much better to go with one and put all your eggs in that bus. Well, what's happened over the last two years is these supply chains have, have choked. And so now buyers are saying, I've actually got to increase my inventory two or three times. And so you, you haven't got, it's not that demand itself has suddenly gone up two or three times, but the companies have gone back to a more resilient approach they're spending more money on inventory in order to try and keep things alive, keep things going. And what that means is that productivity is going down. So we have these great productivity boosts because, you know, we're, we're just doing things in retrospect. I'm not blaming anybody uh, in retrospect on a, on a wing and a prayer. You know, um, they've coined a phrase for that. Um, before, inventory management was just in time, which yeah. meant you could economise on the amount of capital. Yeah. Now it's just in case, yeah, exactly. which means you're trying to make sure you're resilient yeah. to supply chain failures. Because yeah. it turns out not running your factory loses you a lot of money relative to… Oh, the only uh, thing you can get sacked for as a, as, as a buyer. But to, to then come back to your, your point, all of these things are interconnected. So if you if you look at nat- natural gas prices in the states, you know they're down at two two dollars a million BTU a year or so ago. They're now up at eight dollars a million uh, a million BTU. Why is that? Well, because we're short of gas, obviously in Europe. Get uh, that gas was already going to Asia, so Asia is still short as well. And now exports from the states are coming to Europe, and thank you very much because we need it. And so therefore, the market in the states tightens up. So all of these things are interconnected. You're doing two things here. One is that you've got to cope with a recession, which is going to go on for quite some time and be pretty brutal. The second is you've got to say to yourself, we can't afford to carry on like this. This is ridiculous that we're being held to ransom by Russia, that we're being held to ransom by OPEC and everything. We need to move away from fossil fuels. 
Now, it's not the best time in the world to do it because you're moving in the middle of a crisis and you're moving into a new world of renewables. And inevitably, you're at the start of the renewables. So in terms of the experience curve, you're at the most expensive point. You know, people who don't like green energy and so on go, oh, look how expensive. Yeah, I know. But, you know, look how expensive the first motor car was. You know, it's not the first one that you're thinking about. It's the you know, the hundred million one. So it will get cheaper, but it would have been much better had we done it when things were a bit calmer. People never do things when they should. They only do them when they have oh. to. But this, right. you make this point, and it's worthwhile banging it a couple of times because you were never going to persuade people to transition to more expensive green energy. In order to do that, you had to make cheaper hydrocarbon-based energies way more expensive. And hey, we have succeeded. <laughs> now we can all transition to green energy because, hey, it's in line with the existing hydrocarbon price. Now, me personally, I'm still thinking of the bad news. Oh, you see, so what you're suggesting is that Putin has done this. Putin's actually being, you know, uh, glad-handed by the green lobby. Uh, Putin is, in fact, world's greatest green enthusiast. He's uh, he's among most concerned about climate change. Yes. And uh, it's only a matter of time before we see him light up the gas in the Yamal Peninsula, like in the world's biggest Bunsen burner. Well, you know, I mean, he does always do those summer pictures where he's sitting, you know, bare torso on a horse, isn't he, and so on, and he plunges into Actually, the... Actually, I thought, I thought bear. He was I thought he was sitting bare torso riding a bear across the taiga. Um, I've missed that. Maybe I'm looking at the wrong picture. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this This has been a revelation to me, Harry. Thank you. I've never learned. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe I'm looking. Maybe it's. I should blame. These pictures may not be real. It's possible that Putin was not riding a bear. Like I'm, I'm pretty gullible. What can I say? Oh, I mean, there's so many things. If you go down that track, I mean, you know, we had to talk about President Trump, and we can't possibly do that. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, let's not talk about President Trump because if you mention the name of the pre- President Trump, you'll just make some 20% of the population minimum hate you immediately. The man who, the man so, who must not be named. You know, I, I think, uh, I, I'll say this for President Trump. Um, we, there wasn't, the world wasn't immediately in a giant war with Russia when he, and I don't know how that was the case. People do suggest there are good reasons why. Yes. Um, but, but um, you know, I, I you know, I don't really care about the reasons. Anyway, we'll move, on, we'll move on. We'll move on. Yeah, exactly. So Fed puts in inflation. You know, this bothers me. And what bothers me is over the last thirty years, a lot of risk taking as validated because of the Greenspan put or the Fed put. Ooh, yeah. When things went bad, um, once they were bad enough, central banks could bail us all out. Mm. Um, and so it turned out one of the side effects of that was it was a great idea buying real estate. Mm. Uh, buying property always made sense because no matter how bad things got, mm. eventually rates would get cut. And once they got cut, your expensive mortgage became a cheap mortgage. You could refinance in the US. You didn't need to in floating rates mm. in the UK. Um, now, if inflation is out of control and it might be out of – I don't think it really is out of control on a 10-year view – I think it's out of control personally on a three to a three year view or four year yeah. view, but that's enough to cause a lot of discomfort and a lot of pain and take your Fed put away from being twenty percent out of the money to being more like forty percent out of the money, yeah. and and that just adds a lot of risk. Our portfolios are not designed for that. 
We've got bonds, we've got equities, they're meant to have inverse correlations. Mm. If they don't have inverse correlations and they both go down at the same time, people could see really, really nasty drawdowns on their retirement accounts. And, uh, you know, it's it's going to be unpleasant. Well, yeah, well but I, I, I can just pick you up. In the days when one used to look at markets without the Fed getting involved, you know, I, I used to look at this very carefully. And it seemed to me, if you look back over history, and we've got a lot of history of bond rates, you know, the, the Bank of England has rates going back to 1708, you know, which is probably long enough for most people to know about. And you know, what you see was the bonds lead stocks. And it's, so essentially, you know, the old system was things are getting too too excited stop you know the the party is getting too good and the fed's job is to come and take away the 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 cocktails and the punch bowl and calm things down so they push up interest rates everybody goes pop oh that's very unfortunate so but interest rates are now coming down and at a certain point after two two years or so interest rates have come down all the bad stuff has been wiped out and now you start another three to five year cycle and so so, so the the idea of bonds balancing stocks to me was within a within a, a world where you have boom and bust every four or five years, what you know they're, they're always just enough out of sequence that you you know if one's doing well the other one isn't doing you're okay. But what the Fed has done is taken us to a world where rates are at the lowest level they've ever been. I mean, not just you know ever ever been and. Stock markets are at the highest valuation apart from 2000. So there's, there's nowhere to go. You know, Paul, I'm an ex-central banker. Now, they discovered that I was a bad fit. Um, for one, I've got terrible fashion sense. Um, uh, quite early. So I only spent four years at the Bank of England. Um, but... I'm relatively sympathetic to the Fed. I'm relatively sympathetic to the bank. Uh, these institutions reflect their societies. They reflect the wider political dynamic around them. I suspect the reason why the Fed had to behave as it behaved was because the US economy is heavily financialized. And every individual American household has to act like its own uh, CIO. Uh, when we were younger, people could get pensions uh, employment-related pensions, which effectively transferred a lot of the investment risk away from the individual mm. to the company. And that's why a whole bunch of companies are now struggling with these enormous pension liabilities as people lived a lot longer than everyone expected. Mm. Um, now, because everyone's their own CIO, everyone has been forced to go out there and trade. And, and some people have taken to it like a duck to water and and done fantastically well other people maybe not so much um that's probably what one of the reasons why the fed has been really careful not to destroy the value of your 401k when if they had been more aggressive I, I, I'd, have... I'd love to believe that but i think they that it's it's a simpler uh question than that in that what we had was a world where as I say, you had recessions every three to four years, but we had this dramatic change in demographics where we suddenly had, after the, the end of the Second World War, we had a vast number of babies being born. Yeah. So we had two and a half billion people in the world in 1945. By 1980, we were up at sort of 5.4 billion, and today we're up at 7.9 billion. Now, so if you if you go back 
in that period, and in the States, you had 52% more babies born between 46 and 64 than in the previous 18 years. So even if we hadn't had a war, even if all those factories hadn't been turned over to producing tanks and bombers and everything else, and Europe hadn't been bombed literally to bits, you would never have been able to cope with that demand. But, you know, and, and Friedman comes out and he says, oh, this is all monetary policy. Oh, yeah. I don't blame Friedman because he didn't have the demographic data. You know, but anybody with any sense looks at that and it said, this is like the Super Bowl indicator. You know, the fact that an ex-World Series you know, member win, you know, wins or not determines how the, the uh, S&P goes that year. I mean, anybody can see that's complete nonsense. The fact there is an 80 or whatever it is, thing, it doesn't matter. There's no correlation between monetary policy and, uh, and what happens in, in, with inflation or anything else. But we then had this perfect period where all of these baby boomers became what we call wealth creators in the age of 25 to 54. They settled down, they have kids, they buy houses, they buy homes and so on. So the, the economy more or less went on autopilot. And because they were all working, inflation comes down very nicely. And you have this peak period in 1993 onwards to 2000, where all the baby boomers are in this wealth creator period. And at that point, the US had a budget surplus. Imagine a budget surplus. So the, the people didn't have to be financialized. They didn't have to be anything else at all. But after 2000, instead of accepting that two major things have happened, one is that women are no longer having enough babies to replace the population. They've, since 1970, in the States, in Europe and elsewhere, there have not been enough babies to replace the population. And secondly, as you said, we're all living 15 years longer. So I'm a very nice guy, really am. You know, you're a very nice guy. But in terms of the economy, I'm useless because I'm not having any kids. You know, we, we moved from London to uh, to Portugal. Uh, when I moved to the States, where we moved elsewhere, we took, you know, we bought container loads of stuff from Sears and everything else because you have to. You know, we had kids and so on, you know, whatever. We, we bought some new saucepans because we had a new type of hob and it, our saucepans didn't work with the, with the hob. That was all. You know, oh, I, convection. I, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Very, very, very difficult. Yeah. You know, so, so, but you know, and the central banks, instead of accepting that 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 was the way, you weren't going to have growth anymore. They said, "Oh no, no, we were so clever. We understood this monetary policy. We were able to establish all this growth. It was us being so clever." And then they said, "Well, how do we do it?" And they printed babies. And so it's it's pure and utter arrogance, I'm afraid, on behalf of the central bankers. And, and the arrogance comes down to how can 12 men and women sitting in a room in Washington, D.C., control the economic fortunes of 7.9 billion people? It's absurd. Well, I can say this. Yeah, when, I, when, I, when, I, when I was younger, did anybody ever talk about the Federal Reserve or the bank of, the governor of the Bank of England? Of course not. Who cared? You know, um, now, you know, they love it. They're on the front pages. Here I am in sixty minutes, and so on. It's an ego trip. Yeah, if you if you've got someone by the four hundred one k, their hearts and minds soon follow. I think. Well, it's very it, you know you've encouraged this idea. Why should most people become financial experts? You know, some of us like it. That's fine. You know, maybe some of us turn out to you know, have some silver. Most people don't. So why set up a society where most people will fail? 
which is what happened. Yeah, the the, the very straightforward reason, which is that defined benefit pensions became way too expensive. Well, the, but they wouldn't have become too expensive. That's my point. They wouldn't have become too expensive if the Fed hadn't done what it did. If it had said, reality is now that we're going to a very low growth world because of the demographics, living 15 years longer compensates for lack of growth and everything else. So what we need to do is we need to encourage people to work a bit longer. That would be quite good. And we need to encourage, you know, we need to have a regulated financial system. But we used to have this. I used to have a broker who was who was honest. I used to have a broker who gave me really good advice. Yeah, but you were paying your broker a hundred bucks a trade, weren't you? But I didn't mind because I was making money for it. <laughs> You know, yeah, okay, no, so true. you know, so look look at the guys who put all that money into into Robinhood. Oh, I'm getting free commissions. Well, A, you're not getting free commissions because they're getting paid per order. And B, what's happened to your investment since then? It's a lot more expensive yeah. than a hundred bucks. Absolutely. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. So we have a, you have a view. People still have to try to invest their money. Nothing mm. absolves us of the requirement to save yeah. for the future and fund our retirements. Yeah. We have to put money to work. We should, what should we do? Well, as, as I think we, we started off saying, a lot of this depends on your personal temperament. Um, you know, the, 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 there's, there's, there's the well-known phrase that if you're worried about your investments and you can't sleep at night, sell down until you can sleep again. You know, and that is very, very good advice. I think if you're if you're feeling confident about a particular stock, for example, and you feel confident about the industry and you feel confident about the management, then there's no harm in holding that stock if you think you've bought it at the right kind of kind of price. You know, through the downturn. You know, if it does, if it doesn't, you know, if you're if you're able. To you know, not to look at the paper every morning, not to look at the uh, at the ticker and so on. And go, oh my God, I've just lost another thousand or whatever. That's fine, but most people can't. So the issue, I think, is we're going to be in a period where it's very, very difficult to make money. So the safest thing to do, because interest rates are going up and so on, is to go into short-term interest rates because you, as the rates keep going up, so you'll keep getting. You know, now you won't be making spectacular amounts of money, and you won't, you know, you won't be able to say, "Oh, well, I'm going to be able to retire at 55 or anything else." But the key point that I'm going to make is, we need to start talking about return of capital rather than return on capital. You know, we saw with um, with with our crypto friends uh, this 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 week that actually, you know, you've put over your money and you've been told it's all there, but actually, oh dear, it isn't. Yes, it's a South Park episode just like that, uh, yes. involving people trading foreign exchange. Uh, you know, and uh, you know, and, and anybody, you know, you, you 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 always make mistakes. You know, and the thing is, do you learn from your mistakes, in which case they're valuable, or do you just keep making the same mistake? Which is, you know, if, if you know, I I know too many people who claim they never make mistakes, 
and so they're never learning. Oh, uh, no, I keep making the same one just to get extra practice at it. Oh, yes, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I would, I would, you know, not that there's any much value in, in rephrasing what you say, but for what little it is, I, uh, what little value there is in it, it seems to me you're saying people should focus on capital preservation or defense, yeah. not yeah. not making multiples on the investment, which is offense, as, as it'd say in the United States. Yeah, yeah there, there, there are times, yeah, but my experience of these things is there's times in a market where you think to yourself, you know, everything seems to be going pretty well. So I'll chance my arm a bit. There are times in the market where you say, you know, I'd rather hide under the blankets. Yeah. And 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 you would, you know, you adapt to those moments. Because we will get through it's going to be pretty nasty, I think, two or three years. But after that, a whole new set of opportunities come out. So if you've got your cash, you have your firepower. Well, I, I can see that, but I do think we're going to see a big drawdown or a big a decline in standards of living. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, that's many, what a major recession Particularly in, West, in, in Europe, particularly yeah. in Western Europe. Well, I and in the States. I mean, you, 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 I, mean I, you know, I, I look at, uh, at the auto market and I look at mortgage debt and so on. You know, house prices and so on, are, they're at least twice what they should be. And in the end, unfortunately, I mean, I, I, I'll give you an example. I moved to Houston in 1985. The oil price was $30. Everybody in Houston that you met told you that actually it was going to 100 And the one thing you yeah. need to do, Paul, you know, I'm talking to you as a friend here and as a colleague, and I want you to do well, is to buy a house and you'll never, ever have to work again because that... Well, those nice Sugarland houses that they have. That's yeah. right, right? So it's going to go to 100 And ICI, when we sent, they didn't, they didn't, they wouldn't pay anything if you bought because they wanted to move you around if you needed to. So they paid all your rental costs, but nothing if you bought. So we didn't have very much money, so we didn't do it. So our house was appraised, 19, January 1985, at $250,000. We left in March 1987, the same house when we left was appraised at $125,000. That's one hell of a drawdown. That was a hell of a drawdown, right? And we were surrounded through 1986 and 7 because the oil price went from $30 to 10 instead of going to 100 And we were surrounded by people who just sent the keys back to their lender and left state. You know, I'm, I am a little bearish real estate, but I don't believe we can be so bearish because I think what will happen is the value of the dollar will go down. But why? So the inf- combination of inflation and just the foreign ex- foreign value of the dollar. Um, because uh, you can put 5%. Well, what, 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 are you, what are you going to buy, Harry? You know, currencies are a beauty contest. You know, and the beauty contest is not about not about the, the, the girl that I think is, is more beautiful. It's about what everybody else thinks. Do you want to buy the Chinese renminbi? I wouldn't think it's, that's a very good I, I call those ugly contests, and um, I, I'm interested in resource resource plays. Well, do you, do you, you know? Do you, you you've, you've been you've been down on Europe, and I you know, I haven't disagreed with you. Are you suggesting we should buy the euro? You know, I think below parity we probably should because the eurozone okay, will have to do an enormous program of investment. Uh, to transition, well, we've got one. We've got one. We've got one point eight trillion trillion dollars of, of investment. The green recovery. Fund. I suspect it's about a third of what will ultimately yeah, be yeah, required sure. yeah. to transition yeah. away from Russian gas. Yes, yeah. and that money will have to come back from where it's invested all over the world. Right now, it's in U.S. stocks. A lot of it. 
Yeah. yeah. Um, it will come back to the Eurozone to help fund that transition. Mm. And it will, as it, when it comes back, it will push the Euro back up in a kind of counterintuitive mood. But before, you know, rather than go into my views, because God knows, I'm, A, my wife tells me I'm boring, B, other people confirm her view. Um, <laughs> why don't we talk about how would you know if you were wrong in your assessment? And how would you, what would tell you that you were on the right track and that you should be, you know, have more conviction in your view? Well, very simple. If you, if, yeah, we are very clear about what we think is happening. And so we have modelled, we send out to our, our clients, what happened in the 200 days before 2000, 2000 in the 200 days before 1929. You know, we've got all the big ones, all the data is there. Anybody can do it themselves on Yahoo. There's no, uh, you know, there's no, no secret sauce there. Uh, and then, you know, how it turned out. So our our core assumption is that we hit the top of the S&P in January and that we come down and that history isn't a perfect guide to the future, but it's the best we've got. So here are these two massive comparators and they come down like this and they go up a bit like that and they come down like that and so on. And you can just model it. Now, if it turns out that instead of, you know, so far we're following that pattern quite nicely, uh, if it turns out that we start going up that way, well, I'm wrong. Fairly obvious. As I say, you you can actually, un- unlike Superman, you can actually do this at home, children. <laughs> and basically, if, if things pan out as you've described, you'll be further emboldened in your view and you'll take even more defensive. Well, it, yeah, because it's a, it's a market where you put some money to work in what you think look to be okay. I'm into negative, I'm into inverse ETFs at the moment. So I'm looking at all the things that I think are, are bubbles and and how you can play them. Now, some things are, you know, some things is a crowded trade. You know, it's very, very difficult to find a and decent price. They're quite price. expensive in terms of fees. So they take their pound of flesh, the guys who who promote those inverses. Well, it's not that, but if you, if you wanted to buy puts on Tesla or ARK, for example, I mean, you have to, you, you, you give away 90% of what you'd actually make if you were right. Um, yes, you know, yes. so it's it's just not worth doing. But as I say, if you if you look at emerging markets, if you look at some of the inverse uh, ETFs, uh, you know, REW for example, and so on, you know, if you think that the tech bubble, Nasdaq, is is in a really really bubble mood, um, I mean, but my the the point of course is that you get into rotation, and one of the key things is we had all these meme stocks, right? They all go to the sky. They're going to be wonderful and so on, and they, you know. And then, of course, they start to collapse. And what people do is they say, well, yeah, that wasn't a very good idea, but Apple will never go down. Amazon will go, the fangs. So as one goes down, people rotate into the next one. And that's what you'll see. on the. I don't think we'll actually see new highs or anything. But as we go down, A, people will say, gosh, it's gone down an awful long way. I'm sure something will happen now. You know, I'll, I'll go in, I'll buy the dips. And then somebody will say, you know, very good idea. Defence stocks, they're they're great. You know, everybody wants defence stocks. I do like defence stocks. I really do. (laughs) (laughs) And and so we're gradually getting a bit of momentum and the market will rotate into those and that will take the market up for a bit. And, And now you you can so as I say you can you can play this this downturn in a lot of different ways, and some ways are you you can say you know you'll be reasonably comfortable with them, and um, some ways you'll 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 get uncomfortable. But it's personal choice. 
Yeah, I, I can't help but think that what we're looking at is this, uh, one of the big phases of wealth destruction. Um, yeah, and we I, should... I'm, yeah, I absolutely agree. Yeah, because pension funds and everything else are going to be hammered by this. Homes, are, home, house prices are going to be hammered. All these things are going to be hammered. There's nothing I can do about it. And people say, "Oh God, you're very boring and very, very downbeat." And so I'm not. I'm just, you know, if things are going well or badly, it doesn't reflect on me. It's just I'm trying to tell you what I think. And you know, but you know, if if you're in a world where everything is going to the moon, well, that's that's more fun, as Sir Bob Farrell would say. If it's going going the other way, well, you've just got to be a bit cleverer. Yeah. So. Where can people find or get uh, come across your work if they're interested in reading more of what you're you're thinking? How would people get access to it? To, to well, we, do, we, we, we do have a free uh, a free blog that we uh, we put out uh, every weekend at the website, which is new normalcom That's new. I like free things. Yes, exactly. I'm a big Everybody fan of free. free things and so on. And we got we got a lot of people who uh, who, who buy it, and we you know we, we we write about the things that happen to be important for us on that day and you'll see a whole range of stuff also of course you can always subscribe to our report which is you know a bigger bulkier uh more considered thing that we put out every month or indeed you can even ask us to uh come and help you um but that gets a bit expensive well you know who knows who's listening and, and how big their budget is or how interested they are well, in I, I, I mean i have to say uh on real vision we've had a number of people who have come along and uh and and, and subscribed and and I, I think I hope they've had that. I think, well, you know, there's the, 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 cheap advice and there's bad advice, and very often cheap. <laughs> ad- <laughs> yes. How cheap would you like your advice? Yeah, wrong exactly. question, right? Most people, most people want the good advice. Okay. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, as you say, you know, you were making the point about hundred dollar commissions and so. Well, I, I don't mind paying. You know, I used to pay hundred dollars to uh, to Merrill Lynch, uh, but I got really good advice. A really good background. Yeah. Most, of the, most of those trades made money. So they made some money. I made some money. It was an equal deal. Yeah, it's important to get good service. Uh, yeah. I was. I did actually want to get out of that Russian gas company as it hit a new high and tried to get out. And unfortunately, the young man who assigned, was assigned to be my personal broker had trouble with certain issues. But it's, it's all good. It's all good. So... Fantastic! I really enjoyed talking, Paul. Um, that was that was great. A little, you know. Obviously, as soon as you talk about Horsemen of the Apocalypse, things are not as sunny as they could be. But you know, being prepared is is a good proportion of everything about avoiding the worst possible outcomes. And I hope this has kind of helped people think about these issues. Um, I'm probably going to go and switch on the TV and cross my fingers. Think of me, and if you see a bad result for Tottenham. And you know, send, send a little positive. It's all right. I, I, I've I've given up on the soccer with Manchester United this season, so you know they'll be back. They'll be back. You know it. There's got to be this enormous spending program. They're going to have a I mean, bunch want, of players. Yeah, you, you, you want to worry about recession? I'm sorry, I've been worried about Manchester United now for two seasons. <laughs> That's all right. Well, Eric Ten Hag, isn't it? It's going mm. to be Eric Ten Hag rebuilding for you. So Indeed, be, yes, be optimistic. The, 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 the Delphic Oracle for us, yes, hopefully. But yeah, uh, there you I, go. I, hopefully, I, you know, I'm also hopeful for the Houston Astros, but there you go. <laughs> anyway, it was a great pleasure, Paul. Maybe we can do it again sometime. Look forward to that. Thanks very much for your time, Harry. All right, that's a wrap on the next big trade. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, head over to realvision.com for financial insight you won't find anywhere else. 